This is the Andrew Lake Podcast, and I am here with Blaze. Hello, how you doing? Good, thanks, Blaze. How are you? Yeah, I'm. I'm doing all right for a you know a Sunday. So we met through Whiskey Kisses. Mm-hmm. Yep. I spoke with her, and she mentioned you a lot. And I was asking her some questions, and her suggestion was that I should ask you about uh, some things. I'm sure I might know the answers. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about this community. I'm mm-hmm. still quite novice. This community of BDSM. Cool. Well, um, I mean, I was, I was there. I, I listened uh, to the conversations. Conversation. So you know, uh, yeah, yep. we can, you know, go on part two. Um, part two. So, yeah, look, I, I mean, my experience um, has been I uh, joined the, the sort of the BDSM scene um, about, how long ago? Seven years ago, I'm going to say. Seven, eight years, maybe, thereabouts. Um, and my story is a little bit different. I just sort of found it uh, through having some experiences with a few people that I met that um, were, were kinky um, and then found the, the sort of the scene and, and people that really got into that and got together and did that stuff. And it was a real huge eye-opener. I went, uh, actually, Whiskey Kisses mentioned uh, the, the Hellfire Club Night and uh, it was one of the first events I went to about eight years ago and... I went along and my eyes were just open and looked at everything and it was all amazing. Uh, people looked fantastic. and But you performed um, recently at Hellfire, did you? Uh, well, we did, we did a scene at, at Hellfire, yeah. Um, but I, I went along for the first time and I saw all of this sort of stuff. And uh, specifically, I saw uh, a bunch of people doing... Um, uh, doing rope, doing shibari, and uh, yeah, I shibari sort of, is one of those terms that I'm not familiar with. So yeah, you have to explain that. I I, I definitely will. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, I saw all these people doing doing it, and I'll I'll get to what it is in a minute. Yeah. Uh, and basically thought to myself, um, I thought to myself, how do all these really old ugly dudes get all these hot chicks? And thought I got to do that. No, no, actually, no. It was it was different. No, I saw I saw the the beauty and the artistry and um, all these other things um, about it. It was a bit of column A and uh, column B. yeah, actually, yeah, it, it was it was. Um, but basically, well, honesty is a big thing in this community, right? <laughs> it so is. You have to be... by saying what you really think is part Absolutely. of the game. Yeah, and and being honest with yourself about your own desires and, and things like that. Um, so I I. Um, saw all this stuff and, and decided, yeah, I, I, I want to do this. And uh, I, I went along to, um, uh, to a lot of classes and met a lot of people and um, was, you know, taught by a lot of uh, great people um, that w- were able to help me hone my craft. And um, So is a class different to a performance or gathering yeah, so it's a yep. teacher-student dynamic. Yes. So um, back in the day when I was uh, doing things, there was a, a rope dojo uh, where people went to learn uh, shibari. There's a whole bunch of um, uh, classes uh, for all different aspects of BDSM. There are classes specifically for this thing, shibari. And yeah, so th- what what do you know about that? About shibari. Yeah. Do you know anything? No, I Is don't know a new anything. Word? It's a completely new word. It's, just a, it's actually it just sounds... a made-up word that I just came up with. No. <laughs> it, it sounds like a Sanskrit word. 
Ah, which yeah. would be the Eastern mythology origin. Mm-hmm. Yes. Buddhist well, vibes. <laughs> Oriental vibes. Well, well, we are going to travel somewhere to the Orient for it. Yeah. Um, so, so I guess in, in the, the BDSM um, sort of acronym that we talked about before, uh, there is the, the bondage part. And as uh, uh, Whiskey explained, uh, there is bondage is sort of restricting someone uh, whether it be in uh, movement um, or in um, you know psychologically or anything like that but specifically within bondage there is a a, a sort of a, a Japanese form uh, known as shibari so basically it's a, um, a Japanese form of rope bondage it is um, taken somewhat loosely from uh, from rituals that were performed on prisoners um, in sort of feudal Japan and they used to string people up um, in the in the um, the halls uh, to shame them and it was taken up by uh, the the BDSM scene in Japan uh, during I want to say the 40s or 50s I'm not a good historian on this um, and since then it's sort of traveled around the world so when when you use this word shibari can you give a sort of description of what's involved there are there certain special kinds of ropes or special kinds of knots or is it different to the normal bondage and can you separate those or just describe those so i guess with um with shibari it it involves rope obviously there is um uh, usually uses a natural jute uh rope but could be any rope um and it involves creating um uh, forms and harnesses um around your model around the, the person that you're you're tying in order to um First of all, give them a feeling of, of restriction and to take away some of their their agency and their movement, and then also to create forms which can be used for um, either uh, suspending them, uh, where they're actually uh, off the ground and and um, sort of you know spinning around in the air, and also to uh, to give a, uh, a a sense of um, and a feeling of of uh, either constriction or pain or pleasure uh it's it's able to sort of do all of those things so when you say creating a beautiful form it sort of implies to me or what comes to my mind is that you're creating a shape sort of like an artwork and your model is part of this sculpture but it is also an experience for the model Mm -hmm. and so there's a whole interplay between your audience and your partner and you Mm -hmm. and of course it's beautiful for you and there's also the process for you and the role that you would take is that a fair summary or yeah absolutely yeah so there's uh, actually one of the um uh, teachers that i've learned from uh who who's japanese once said in a class he said um uh models should look better in rope than not in rope and uh, I, i guess what it's doing is it's accentuating some of the things um, of, of the, the form of the person that you're tying and, yeah, giving them uh, a, a feeling as well um, and an experience within that. So there, there is that aesthetic side, but then there's also the, the connection side. Um, and when it comes to sort of, you know, a lot of this stuff gets done in a performance element where um, there are people around watching 
However, when it comes down to it, the the only person that you're uh, you should be focused on is the person that you're tying. Um, and so any great performance could happen without any audience because you're really only uh, doing it for the person that, um, that you're tying. So did you find coming into this community that you felt more fulfilled or satisfied by having these certain enactments than you did before you were involved in BDSM? Like, do you ever look back and think, wow, this is a complete revolution for me? Or do you think that it's just a change? Is it a change for the better or is it a change just for different? I think for me, um, the the period that I uh, first got into the BDSM community was a time when there was probably a lot of change in my life anyway. And so... You know, as as humans, we always gravitate towards uh, people who are similar to us. And as I was exploring my my sexuality, my um, understanding of what it meant to um, to to be truthful to myself about what I liked, I then at that same stage discovered a, another group of people uh, that also thought the same way as I did. Not necessarily exactly the same. Not necessarily like but it was a group of people who were open to exploring those things. And so I, I guess I quickly was able to um, find a bit of a home uh, within that community. So would you call this a pastime hobby, which I think for a lot of people would be hard to put it that way because mm. it's involved in something so elemental or fundamental to what we are as human beings, which is mm-hmm. expressing the most powerful experience we can think of or can say of. And well, what do I, how do I put it? So sex is considered one of the most powerful and intimate experiences we can have. And human connection with others is also one of those fundamental aspects of life. Mm-hmm. So it would be hard to say that this is just a side hobby yeah, I, I think the 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 better term uh, f- for it for me would be um, that it's a um, uh, it's a lifestyle. So it's it's not just like it's something I do like go and you know race remote controlled cars. You know that's a hobby, um, which within it could have community as well. Um, but I guess for me it's more of a lifestyle. Um, it's where um, you know, a lot of my, my, you know, connections and friends are also within the scene. Um, but I also sort of live that on a daily basis. So it's not just something I pull out of the box every now and then. So do you, does your family know you do this? Um, no. No, they don't. <laughs> do many people in the community have that sort of side to them where they don't let their family know? Yeah. I think there's... On the surface, you might say, well, that's, you know, an indication that you're not proud of it. But mm. really, normally we don't share our yeah, sex life exactly. with our family anyway. Yeah. I, I think so, it depends. Like, I, I know people that um, that have told their families that have been open and honest with their families. Um, and I think that they naturally would be people that would share their sex life with their families. If You, you know, they, they would have open families that um, would be able to... to handle that information 
Um, and I think, uh, but for a lot of people, they come from families where, uh, you know, you, you don't talk about that. It's like, oh, that person's with, you know, that person, great, fantastic, you know. Come, come to the barbecue, but we're not going to talk about the sex life thing. Uh, <laughs> so, so do you ever see in people coming along to this community that there's a really stark, obvious double life? Or do you find that people, oh, yeah. you see someone walking down the street and you go, ah, I know what you're into. <laughs> Is uh, there a BDSM radar? Like a gaydar? Oh, maybe. There, there should be an app for that, probably. Maybe. <laughs> um Look, there's definitely a lot of people that still live um, uh, in the closet, in the closet, so to speak, for yeah. when it comes to BDSM. Um, I think that there is still. So, what's harder, to come out as gay or to come out as BDSM? Ooh. No, no, that's like that's that's like a legitimate question. Um, I know a lot of people that have come out as being into BDSM, um, and they've done that after they've come out as being gay and said that the coming out from BDSM was a little harder. Um, and I think that's just due to cultural acceptance and um, these days cultural accept- acceptance of um, you know, same-sex sexuality, bisexuality um, is, is much more accepting. But I think also BDSM refers to what specifically you do with your sexuality, okay? So when it comes down to, um, you know, someone who's, uh, you know, gay or bisexual, um, that's really just the gender that that person chooses to do it with. But then you don't actually have to um, explain anymore, you know? You do, the mechanics of it don't matter. When it comes to BDSM, you are instantly sort of giving the mechanics of what you are into, um, so there's saying, a little bit more detail, which means it's yeah, more to take on. So Yeah, and so people um, can get a bit more squeamish at that a little bit quicker uh, because um, they're not... Um, yeah, sometimes they're, they're not wanting to know those details. And and that's okay. But it's, it's difficult to come out as being into BDSM without having to answer some of those questions. In my mind, it makes sense because feeling or experience is something in many ways we want to intensify and there are many ways around that and it's interesting that some of the experiences we have that are quite intense have either a pain or a pleasure mixed to it depending on the story that we tell ourselves for example just lifting weights is quite an intense experience but that's associated with growth for people when they're doing that intentionally. And so is there a similar correlation to going into this community and doing things which on the surface seem quite painful to an outsider, but for the insider, it's quite pleasurable? Is that a fair interpretation or is there a link between pain and pleasure which is addressed by this community Mm. so i think uh that when it comes down to it most communities that are strong um have been through something that is both pleasurable or painful or difficult um in order to form that bond of community loose associations are 
formed by, um, by just a common interest. But communities are formed by a common experience. And so I guess within BDSM, what's happening is um, as, as we are uh, playing with, with pleasure and pain and um, all these sorts of things, uh, we're actually bound together by this experience. And that forms a, a stronger and closer community, I think. So intensity and shared experience is this thing that we're trying to explore or this what flowers in this community. Yeah, yeah, I think that the um, yeah, the, the, the intensity uh, draws things in closer. I think on the flip side, there's also like you know downsides on that. Um, there are things that um, when we you know uh, share a common experience that then we get to fight over the the, the smallest things, uh, but it's um, it's yeah it's it's stronger because of the experience. So I think there's a popular culture reference, which is a little bit of the elephant in the room. Most people as outsiders would associate BDSM with this movie, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. So this is a popular movie. Is that a fair representation of what this community is about? And I've only seen it, I've only seen it once a long time ago. I don't really? think I really, yeah, I don't remember much of it. But we, we, we keep threatening to do drinking games while watching it, but then realizing that, um, that would probably lead to alcohol poisoning. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, look, I mean, like it's it's a it's a cultural phenomenon that has has happened. You can tell that the author who wrote the books definitely read a Wikipedia page. Uh, <laughs> maybe not much deeper than that. Um, it it definitely um, some of the mechanics that might be described in the book might be things that happen um but the the attitude and the 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 reasoning behind why everyone does what they do in in that movie and those those books um is not really representative of the bdsm scene um it's you know i mean I would like to have a helicopter and to be able to, you know, give all my submissives a, a brand new computer and, um, you know, <laughs> all those sorts of things. That would be great. Um, not every dominant is uh, is a multi-billionaire. Um, but also when it comes down to it, it was, um, it was a one-on-one experience that didn't have any checks and balances with a community that... Um, uh, was able to say, hey, wait a minute, that might be a little bit abusive. <laughs> um, and I think the other, the other thing that I don't necessarily like about, uh, about those movies, that being said, I've only seen the first movie and only got the crib notes on the rest of the books, so I don't know exactly what happened. But, <laughs> um, but the issue is that it's it's it also gets played on the fact that you know he is broken because of this and BDSM and those kinky things he does are uh, a symptom of his brokenness, rather than it being you know what I I like kinky kinky shit and that's okay, you know um it it sort of it's it's a little judgy. So like most things that make their way into the forefront of popularity, they are the bastardized version of 
that original community which had a original idea or a clever idea, which is taking this element of community interaction and combining that with personal intimacy, mm. which is quite radical because personal intimacy is for so long or in so many cultures, in my mind at least, mm. something that you keep strictly separate to your community actions. So is there something you can formulate to... This is the question that I asked Whiskey Kisses previously. So this, this idea that you're just playing out a pathology or a childhood wish fulfillment or abuse issues... Is there something that you can say beyond just the acceptance of your own desires? Ah, this is a good one. Um, this is something I've definitely actually thought about. Um, I, I think when it comes down to it, every single one of us um, is broken in some way. Um, has something that might be a bit different to everyone else. We all have issues, in inverted commas. I think what polite society tries to tell us is that we need to bury those things, that we need to um, fix those things. Uh, but what if we don't necessarily need to uh, fix those things, but we can actually um, incorporate those things into who we are. Even when your kink might be something that is uh, playing off, uh, you know, some sort of trauma or some sort of, you know, thing that's happened in the past, you can still actually heal and, and be better with that in yourself through playing with it in the BDSM sense. I think that when it comes down to it, there's okay, this is this is like totally unscientific, and I have no way to uh, to, share to your prove opinion. this. So I'm going to just share well, a completely well, unqualified opinion. Well, here. don't say that. Be say. <laughs> well, we're not here. About, we're not here to be scientific. We're here to Good. hear your story yeah, and your experience. Yeah. So if you've experienced it and it means something to you, yeah. then it's fair to say. So so I think that's scientific enough for me. Okay, that's great. Um, so I think that we, um, you know, for, for hundreds of years uh, since uh, our good friend Sigmund Freud um, sort of, you know, started up the whole idea of psychotherapy and the, the ability to talk through issues um, came about. Uh, I, I feel that the, um, that the way that that works, and once again, you know, I'm not going to write an essay on this, but, you know, the basic crib notes is that as you talk about these things that are sort of buried in your subconscious, you bring it to your conscious mind. And your conscious mind does something with that. You, you process it. And as it goes back in, it might be a little bit better. And you keep doing that and you, you start to get more realization on, on, on those things. Um, quite often in, in BDSM, when we play with things that are around, uh, you know, trauma or issues that we've, we've had in the past... What we can actually do is, once again, bring that to our conscious mind through a physical thing. So it's not necessarily talking about it, but actually playing something out, playing a role. Those sorts of things can bring that to our conscious mind again. Um, once again, it gets processed. It can get a little bit better. 
and as it goes back, it's 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 a bit better, and we can keep bringing that out. Um, so I, I think there is a, a, a link there um, that it is it, it actually can be helpful. I think it's fair to say that our childhood upbringing does have an effect on us, but it wouldn't be fair to say that it has the final say about mm. what we are. It's such a small part because there's so many other factors that go into it. Mm. And I think maybe that's one of the mistakes Freud make, made, which is that yes. he yes. overemphasized this wish fulfillment or yep. dominance yep. issues during childhood mm. rather than opening it up to a wider spectrum of yep. how, how they're formed. So would you say there's a process where you unfold different ideas and you have different experiences and it becomes a bit like the chicken or the egg and you're coming up with different things that you would like to try mm. and that would lead to new things and you don't necessarily have this black and white thing of your idea of what you want and then mm. trying it but it's a creative process that folds off the community yeah um uh, yeah definitely i think um any, anyone who starts uh, exploring kink and exploring BDSM, um, usually there's like one thing where it's like, oh, yeah, I really want to try that. I really want to do this. Um, and they wouldn't stick around if they did that. And then, oh, okay, I've done it. Good. Let's let's go home. Um, you discover within that, you're like, oh, something else happened. Or, oh, I really enjoyed that. Let's do some more of that. Um, so it's very much an, an exploratory um thing where you can you, you can try different things and you can talk about trying different things um, rather than always just saying oh yeah we'll just do that one thing that I like so yeah it's, it's definitely and also when you go to, to parties and you go to um, things where a lot of other things are happening you might go there and you see someone do an amazing scene with with something and then you go oh I'd like to try that. Why don't we try that? And you can talk to your partner or your partners and go, "Hey, let's let's try that thing." And they're like, "Yeah, let's let's give that a go." So um, there's definitely that that element of of discovering new things together. So do you think this community offers more of a chance to have freshness? Because in monogamous relationships or any other forms of relationship, there's always this thing of a growing repetition which mm. makes things stale. Mm-hmm. And so you, there's an edge between trying something new and doing something that you like mm. to keep things interesting. So would you say that this community offers that opportunity to have a changing idea or mm. rolling set of ideas, which you can then let have more of a constant reservoir of freshness? Mm. I So... To put it more bluntly, do, does it ever get stale? Does it ever get boring? Like, do you I, ever find fr- find yourself frustrated? So I was, I was actually going to like answer that on on that front. That um, you know, people uh, on the outside might think, oh, you know, you guys must always have amazing experiences every day, and it must be always different, and all those sorts of things. Um, that's not actually always true. Uh, <laughs> so. Within um, any long-term uh, sort of uh, kink relationship where both of you are kinky and both of you are exploring that, you can still have times where it's like, oh, yeah, we, we, we've, we've, we've done that like lots and, yeah, it's getting a little stale. It's just in the kink community, that's like, oh, 
you know, we're going to have to like, you know, do double fisting again. And no, I'm kidding. That's not, I, I just went wow. to the extreme there. You know, it's yeah. I'm, desperate times call haven't. for desperate measures. <laughs> but, but that's so on, on the hedonistic treadmill. You, yeah. Um, you still get to those bits where it's like, um, where you can be a bit blasé about things that for most people would be the highlight of, of, of their entire life. Um, however, however, <laughs> um, however, it's, it's still, um, it's still something you have to work on in, as in any relationship, as in any sort of, um, uh, thing you, you do need to keep working on that and, and you have to be conscious in moving forward and, and trying new things and, and exploring things. Um, but also deepening the things that you already have together. So not just, um, yeah, not, not just, we've had this, um, <laughs> we've, we've had this like thing where we've, we've been talking about, um, you know, at some stage we've got to have bad sex hasn't happened yet we're trying we try all the time to have bad sex and it's just wow really yeah it hasn't so this happened. is a conscious decision well <laughs> really well well think about it because it's a, it's a challenge yeah well that's quite insightful because one of the things i've been doing with my consciousness work is facing the inadequacies mm. so when you want to really excel the first instinct is to say, well, let's make the best, the best as we can. Let's make mm. it as really as good as we can, but perhaps counterintuitively to get your good as good as possible, you have to actually face what's wrong with you and what's not working and even trying on bad things on mm. purpose so that you can try it. So that's a, I see that similar correlation mm. with what you're doing. So for real, you actually try to have bad sex. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I I mean it was it was semi tongue in cheek I must admit but um uh yeah yeah we we did we did try once I think twice twice it didn't work didn't work no. so do you think if things became stale or re- too repetitive mm. that the BDSM community would offer more of a chance to break out of that or avoid that from happening so are people involved in BDSM less likely to become stale than those who are not involved. No, I don't I, <laughs> I don't I don't think so. Um I think that um like like I said it's it it really is um something that as human beings we we need to work on. Um I, I think um in, in a BDSM relationship sometimes like you know it's 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 like in you know diving where you you know You've got the, you know, the, the high difficulty dive or something like that. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it becomes more difficult. <laughs> so can I ask you a bit of a, a bit of a pointed question? Yes. Has, Point away. Has jealousy ever been an issue? Um, Have you ever got jealous of someone yeah. in this polyamorous this situation that you have? So, like, first of all, polyamory... Um, and that side of me, um, like that's like, that's like another thing as well. It's not necessary. Like there are lots of very vanilla polyamorous people. So can um, I ask a, a novice question, yes. which is that if you're in a relationship with someone who is polyamorous, mm-hmm. does that automatically classify you as polyamorous? 
No, not necessarily, no. You you would have to be obviously okay with that or that person choose not to be. Um, but it's 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 definitely more of an individual decision as opposed to... Or it's both individual and collective. Um, but, yeah. So, so yeah, when, when it comes to that side of things, it's, it's not necessarily, um, that's not necessarily the, the kink side of things. Um, but when it comes down to um, uh, myself personally, um, and I have talked to this with, with whiskey quite a number of times, um, I tend not to get particularly jealous. Um, and we've tried to work that out and like, why is that? Um, and I think that there's... So it sounds a bit like it can be a bad thing that you're not jealous. So you're in this <laughs> polyamorous um, relationship and yeah, someone goes off and they say, yeah, exactly <laughs> like that. Um, no, I mean, we, we definitely don't, um, don't well, uh, try not to play that game, but when it comes down to it, um, for me, I tend to have a high degree of trust and, um, and openness, um, when it comes to this stuff. So I like if, if my partner goes and plays with someone else, I know that she will still be my partner when she comes back or when she's finished that. And I'm sort of, sort of chuffed that someone else is, you know, getting to do some fun stuff as well. Um, I'm okay with that. I think that's cool. So would you assume that they're doing something different or that there's a act that you have just for yourselves? Or is there a flavor of intimacy that you save just for yourselves, just for your relationship? Or is it you can do anything? Yeah, so there's there's not really a... Uh, there's not really like a, a physical restriction there. Um, there's probably some relational restrictions that we've put on each other around that. So what's um, the difference between those two? So, or what would you call a relationship restriction? Um, so physical would be, you know, I don't mind what physical acts someone else does. Yeah. The relational um, restrictions would be more, you know, that there are certain sort of areas of our relationship that I wouldn't want encroached upon. Um, so, yeah, certain terms that we use for each other that um, I wouldn't want someone else so like a nickname, uh, sort of, yeah, but more. It's actually more of a role and more of a um, a way they treat you in yeah. how they talk around the house, around everyday life, outside of the intimate setting. Um, yes, yes, that's the, but that's the way we would use it. But then um, I wouldn't want someone else playing with that part of it. I'm not sure I follow. So, <laughs> well, you have, so so you have your so intimacy. To, um, may, uh, I, I guess just to um, uh, just try and to, say it as, as explicit as you can, explicit as as we can. So we we have one little rule around the relational stuff, which is uh, so we we have a, an, a relationship where we, you know, uh, whiskey calls me daddy, um, <laughs> and I call her, you know little one or, or baby girl or something like that um, and that's that's a term that we're um, not wanting to share with others and that form of relationship so the transaction of your dialogue is more sacred in a sense than the intimate bedroom yeah the playground yeah. in the bedroom yeah absolutely like I mean 
yeah, like that's that for me is is um, that's something that we can we can keep to ourselves. But it's it's okay to you know put things in other holes and do all the other fun things because they can be fun. And 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 look, you know, I mean, anyone who's who's gone out and um, you know done casual sex on Tinder or something knows that you know sex does not equal intimacy, um, and it's and it can be a lot of fun and it you know it's 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 fine um but it de- definitely doesn't equal inter- intimacy so um i guess they're the areas where there needs to be more discussion rather than a physical act so if you're in a polyamorous relationship do you have your primary relationship and then you have other sort of flings or less meaningful or or perhaps different like what's the mm. what's the right term that i should use um i think difference probably good um because polyamorous could mean just everyone's equal everyone yep. has yep. their own thing and there's no primary relationship but in your setup it seems mm. like there's a primary with others yeah so how close are you with your others <laughs> so like are they acquaintances or are they first time meet meeting them or well, so do they have their own nicknames? <laughs> so okay, okay, so maybe just to um, t- to go on um, like a little bit of theory first, and then I'll bring it back to actually our situation. Uh, so uh, polyamory can be um, can be done in that sort of very flat, democratic. Everyone is equal. You know, everyone is you know on the same level sort of uh, thing. Uh, which is fine. Um, and then there's what's sort of known as hierarchical poly, um, where you, you sort of have designations of someone being a, a primary partner and then secondary partners or, uh, or play partners. Um, we sort of operate a bit more in that sort of hierarchical polyamory structure. And a lot of the people in BDSM that are poly also work within that. Um, and I guess just because in BDSM there is you know, hierarchies, there are sort of that, you know, um, uh, you know, th- there is that sort of, you know, dominance and submission and things like that. So we play. So with- how is the hierarchy decided? Is it by who has a stronger force of will or who has more experience in the community? Um, well, in the community, it's a bit different and there definitely is, you know, some sort of informal hierarchies within that. Um, but it's just more being okay with, with those things, because I think a lot of people equate any sort of uh, power difference as being sort of bad. Um, whereas in BDSM, we're okay Don't with... Don't tell the postmodernists. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But we're, within BDSM, we're okay with power differences. Um, and so that's why when it comes to poly, we're okay with a, a poly system that for us is sort of more of that hierarchical. Um, so for me, for instance, I have my primary partner, uh, Whiskey Kisses, and um, and then I have some play partners, so people that I would see, um, you know, maybe semi-regularly, ad hoc, uh, for want of a better term, um, who I would do rope with. Some people just I just do rope. Some people I just do sort of impact play. Um, do they have know, their own nicknames? Um, and do they call you by a nickname? So. Not necessarily. I, I tend to, in BDSM play, um, I will we will use sort of the the honorifics of uh, of Sir um, to to refer to myself. Um, and is that a 
like a common phrase for the role that you take on. So yes. other people do that as well. If they were doing your rope style or a performance piece similar to yours. So I think um, it's it's sort of a um, that sort of formal honorific is 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 a standard sort of thing in a lot of BDSM communities for someone who is a dominant. Um, and um, where so, we? did you? So before we go on, yes, have you gotten off this question? Mm. Has jealousy ever been an issue? Ah, yes. Um, so, um, it's, re- it's yeah, it sounds weird to say, but it, it just really hasn't uh, for me. Even in situations where maybe it should have. <laughs> um, and I think that's because of my, my ability to be confident in myself, my ability to be confident in my partner, um, and my ability to see... Um, see the bigger picture so if you know my partner's playing with someone else um and even if i'm like uh i wish it was me right now or something like that you know like there might be a bit of uh that timing wasn't good and there has been occasions where that's that's been the case um i can still sort of see the big picture of it's okay she's coming home with me so as an outsider and you sort of mentioned sort of a bit jokingly before about how, how does this older guy get younger hot girls? <laughs> yes. The question that a single guy from the outside might want to know mm. is, is it easy to get laid getting involved <laughs> in this community? Um, so if you're struggling to get laid yeah. or you're feeling unsatisfied because you might have a bit of social awkwardness mm. or you're have a bit of anxiety around, mm. you know, talking to pretty girls or even just girls in general. Yep. And you're not entirely comfortable with your sexuality even. You're not even sure mm. what sort of things you do like, where your boundaries are, and you mm. don't know yourself very well. Is getting into this community a silver bullet for all those things? Or <laughs> is it some of column B, some of column A? So, <sighs> so what I'm going to say is this, is... If you come into a BDSM or kink community because you want to get laid, you're not going to. (laughs) If you come into the BDSM and kink community because you want to explore BDSM kink, you probably will. (laughs) So it really is like we can spot from a mile off when there is a dude who comes into an event or a munch or something like that. Who, and it's usually dudes. Let me just say that. Yeah. Let's Who, be honest. Let's be honest. Yep. Let's be honest. No, oh, yeah, no, you're right. Okay, yeah, can go. Yeah, either way. Yep. Yeah, right. But <laughs> when someone comes in because they think um, that hey, these these BDSM girls, they're going to be like easy. I can like nail this. Um, oh man, they get they get spotted from a mile away. Absolutely spotted from a mile away. So and- what happens? <laughs> what do you do to them? Is there an etiquette around uh, it? Yeah, we we might throw um, whiskey kisses at them, and then she'll beat them. That no, doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't sound very welcoming. So, um, no, no, no. I, I guess I guess um, when when someone comes in with that bravado yeah. of um, you know thinking this is a place just to get laid. Okay, so um, what what's well? I guess there's two issues here, yeah. which is we've got a guy who feels not fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And he wants to explore a new area of life, which will help him with that. Yep. 
And then there's a separate issue, which mm. is coming at this with the wrong attitude. Yes. And coming yeah. at it with the naive mindset of how it works. Mm-hmm. And so what what do you do to those two things? Mm. But I think I think they're the, the two different um, aspects. They're the two different ways of approaching it. If some if someone comes in, you know, to an event or a munch and they're, they're sort of you know quiet and they're sitting back and they're watching and observing and they're they're trying to learn, um, then the community is going to go okay, well you know come in and 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 have a look and and see what's happening and we'll introduce you to some people and all those sorts of things. So coming in with that, that's sort of like coming in with the pure intentions. Um, and you know, well, not pure. Like they might be filthy, but <laughs> but but <laughs> we're stretching the meaning of the word pure. Yeah, yeah, pure. Yeah, pure in our, in my terms, which is uh, well, I'm all about <laughs> manipulating words to our own uses. So reclaim the word. We'll however reclaim you want. that pure That's word. That's right. Um, Thank you. But uh, yeah, that that intention. Whereas if you so has there ever been someone who's come in with a naive intention and you've schooled them in such a way? that they've been open to changing their approach? Um, or is it more of a reject or accept? Yeah, it's... How many people are it's borderline? difficult. It's difficult. Um, th- this is an area where um, when people come into, uh, in, into the scene, they, they, they could be, you know, have, have some you know, bad intentions or just be dangerous in the sense of not knowing what they're doing and therefore, you know, shouldn't be playing with some of these things. I've definitely seen that and I've, we have taken a number of those people sort of, you know, um, through the process of, of going to classes and, and learning more and, and being mentored and things like that. So there, there definitely is that sort of an informal structure for that. Um, and some of them have definitely gotten way better and, uh, valued members of, of, of our scene. Um, but then there are some who, after they've been taken aside and said, you know, hey, you know, maybe don't act like this, this is a bit creepy or this is a bit weird or, um, you know, you, you, you're doing something that's unsafe. Uh, if they then reject that advice, um, usually, um, yeah, Usually, their their time is 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 uh, is numbered in the scene. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm. to ask a pragmatic question, mm. how do you handle STIs or <laughs> disease, or does everyone have to have their own card, their own check, or is it up to each person to ask, say, "Hey, are you clean?" So there's there's a number of different, um, I guess health safety things that are uh, uh, that you know we all um, follow uh, so first of all like on a personal basis and this is something that everyone needs to, to make the decision to do themselves um, you know we would always recommend people have regular STI checks um, you know how regular um, is there an industry standard industry standard um, I, I would say once every three months would probably be a good idea depending on how active you are with multiple partners um, and yeah that, that would be a rather safe thing it's all covered by Medicare so go out and do it it's free and then within within that so obviously if, if you can't then rely on everyone doing that so so there's still other safety areas uh, that you need to have so when you're um, 
playing sexually. Um, you know, it's always encouraged to use, uh, you know, uh, use protection, use condoms, rubber gloves. If there's, you know, um, you know, some, you know, for um, other forms of penetration, things like that. Um, there's also um, at every kink venue uh, in Sydney, you'll you'll find ViraClean, um, sort of you know um, antiviral um, spray cleaner that you can clean up toys and anything that you're using. So you know, like when you go to the gym and you you know you're doing uh, you know bench presses and then you, you give it a good wipe down afterwards um, when you bend someone over a, um, <laughs> a, a hobby horse and, and, and give them a, a good spanking. Um, after that, you just give it a good wipe down. It's just, it's yeah, it's it's just like going to the gym. Um, <laughs> but so are there areas where these are certified places, and you have private houses as well. Like, is there a distinction there? Yeah. Or so there's there's, there's an, clubs, right? There's a, so like there's a, a number of um, so there's a number of uh, venues um, in 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 most cities in Australia um, and many cities all over the world. Um, you will find a uh, a legitimate BDSM club um, in in Australia. They usually um, uh, they usually classified as a, a sex club or a sex on premises venue um, where they're licensed to have you know sex on premises. That covers actually um, sort of you know swingers clubs, BDSM clubs, um, brothels, um, any sort of business uh, where there's sex needs to have that licensing from your local council um, and so there's a number of um, venues in Sydney that have uh, have that licensing and um, they will supply you know protection Viraclean all those sorts of things they'll also make sure events that are run there have uh, people who um, monitor so dungeon monitors um, who actually um, you know have the authority to to you know break up a scene or to um, you know help out if they think something's violating consent or something like that um so, so yeah is there such thing as a code word or is that just an urban myth <laughs> safe Do safe people words. have it's yeah safe like words. safe words yes yes there is safe words are great yeah and everyone should use them um so do you have a safe word uh so well you don't <laughs> do no you no no s- i can i can use the safe words too um have you ever in, had to use one um i have had safe words used with someone I've played with has so they've said it to you yes and I have not used a safe word specifically but I have called a scene on someone else's behalf so you've Um, you've stepped in on someone's scene oh no 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 I've stopped my own scene oh your own scene yeah because um that's that's happened um so yeah so is the trick then to get as close as possible or is it more of a degree of variation with what no, you want to create? No, so it, well, that, that depends. So the reason safe words exist is because within some BDSM scenes, it is fun to have our normal words for no and stop and I don't like that to not mean that, if that makes sense. So where you might want you know, you're doing a stream, a, a scene where it's a struggle and they might want to be like, no, no. Now, in normal consent land, that should mean no, because no means no. But if you've pre-negotiated that there is another word that actually means no and stop, then they can play with that word and they can play with those things. Um, so it's, it's basically 
um, creating a very unambiguous way to withdraw consent. So, so it's a simulated. Is it a simulated rape then? Um, is that a no? no so too I aggressive mean, there of is, a term. Yeah, look, I think that would be um, too aggressive of a term. There are some people that might play on the edge with some of those sorts of things, but it's um, it's more about being able to have a bit of struggle um, without necessarily um, having to use the normal language that we would use um, in, in normal society or in normal sexual interactions. So, so I guess um, maybe to go through those as well because it's, it's, um, uh, it's, it's sort of a common thing that a lot of people use is we use like the traffic light system. So you have um, uh, two words, red and yellow. And so um, yellow would be like the, the yellow traffic light. Uh, it means slow down um, or, you know, I'm close to, to, to red, I'm close to stop. Um, and what that means when someone says yellow is stop, check in with me, and don't continue doing what we're doing until I say everything's okay again. Okay? Um, so that's sort of like a pause button. Um, and so if someone says yellow, you would stop. You would check in with them. You would say, okay, what's happening? And it might be just, oh, something's a bit uncomfortable or I, I'm really not feeling this thing that you're doing um, at the moment. Could you try something else? So it's a, a way to sort of pause the scene and then you can continue on uh, with consent. Uh, whereas red, which is sort of the, the, the complete stop, um, would be, nope, stop. I'm withdrawing consent for what we're doing. Get me out of this situation. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a way of saying very clearly that that you know you're withdrawing consent so yeah that's that's the safe words thing and um when everyone uses that same system uh it's it's often it's 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 good because you you sort of have a, a common terminology in the community so a lot of what i'm hearing described is still very much one person with the submission and the dominant and it's just two people involved. Mm -hmm. So what would be something where there's many people involved or how mm -hmm. big does a group get and mm -hmm. how is that coordinated? So I guess that, that depends. So within most, most BDSM scenes would involve two people, maybe three people, maybe four people. Um, because a BDSM scene is usually pre-negotiated. You, um, you talk about what you want to do and then you do it. And that's not conducive to, you know, a whole bunch of people. Usually it's easier to get, you know, two people or three people on the same page. Um, I guess within um, the, the swinger scene, which is a bit different, crosses over with kink a little bit, but within the, like, swinger scene where it's, it's a bit more like a, a sex party, I guess, uh, there's a different model of consent, which is, which is where... You know, if, you, if you're in a big pile of people, which happens, <laughs> um, you know, you, you, if you want to join in that pile, you go over and you, you can, you know, look at someone, touch them lightly. And um, if they look at you and say, no, thank you, you withdraw and don't. If they don't say anything, then you continue. And so there's a different model in the sort of the swinger scene. So um, I, I imagine under that, model you'd be able to accommodate for a lot more people involved in an yeah, act at once uh, yeah. rather than the preordained correct, correct terms and processes yeah yeah and and that's you know 
I, I, I guess the, the difference there is, you know, within um, sort of, you know, the, the, the swinger scene and within sort of, you know, that group sex type thing, um, you know, like the worst thing that can happen there sometimes is, you know, the person isn't very good at the sex. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Like it's like, you know, that's it's not the end of the world. Whereas in BDSM, like it might be like, you know, the worst thing that could happen is someone gets very seriously injured. Um, so the stakes are higher. And so therefore the the amount of communication beforehand is is way more important. Is there a crossover between goth culture or fashion mm. which comes into some of these arrangements? Like mm-hmm. I've seen some of the arrangements that you've done and metal culture or mm. goths or extra piercings sort of things. I'm not very mm. familiar with those terms, but is there a blurred line between those or are people mm. goth who come into it or is that a completely <laughs> separate thing? <laughs> uh, well, uh, first of all, like, um, uh, yeah, like I, I, I am in no way a goth or have ever been You don't a look goth. like one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So I feel like I shouldn't speak for uh, for them, but no. no um, traditionally, there as like during maybe Goth's heyday, there was definitely a big crossover in some scenes between um, between the sort of the Goth scene and and BDSM scene. Um, there's one party in Sydney that still is actually two parties in uh, in in Sydney that um, identify as sort of um, BDSM Goth parties. So they they do have that crossover, and some of the the um, the kink fashion around sort of you know leather and 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 um, uh, latex and um, black as being a preference and spikes Obvi- and spikes and yeah, things chains. like that. So there there is a um, like there's a fashion sort of crossover there as well. Um, I guess for me personally, I'm not so much into the fashion side of BDSM or that or that that particular style um but a lot of people I know are and that's that's okay um but yeah I think traditionally there has been I would say these days not as much the next generation uh uh people coming into kink um I, I guess they're more comfortable in, you know, honey bidet uh, lingerie or something like that, um, as opposed to, uh, you know, leather and spikes. So the entrepreneur in me, mm. my orange meme on Spiral Dynamics, <laughs> some of our listeners should be familiar with that, is how do you make money from it? Ah, this is a good question. Do you do you have to own a premise or can you sell artworks? like in the sense that you come mm-hmm. up with your own knots mm. or can you charge admittance for an entry mm. to a show? Mm. So, um, so first of all, if, if, if you want to make money uh, from this, don't try to do something else, like invest in like Bitcoin or something. Like it's, you're not going to make a lot of money. So, <laughs> so those are that um, are in it are in it for the love. So, but at the same time, money is an important thing. Like, um, you know, you need to pay for the the venues that we want to do these things in. You need, you know, there 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 is a there is an economy that goes along with it as well. And I guess there are, as I said, there's a couple of venues which um, are run, uh, you know, legitimately and um, charge entry and higher fees and um, things like that, where where they provide a space for these things to happen. Um, 
I can guarantee you, um, having done that myself uh, for a little while. You run a ven- you ran a venue. Yes, yes. Yeah. So more underground, um, but that's all right. Um, but um, there's there's definitely no money to be made, but you can have a lot of fun, <laughs> um, and you can sustain a you know a, a little bit of uh, side income from it. Were you doing that full time? No, no. You that had a was side a, job. Yeah, yeah. That was only ever a sort of a. Um, it was actually never done to want to make money. There was just a yeah. you know, a few elements of it need to pay its a few. Yeah, pay a few bills and you know have lots of raucous parties. Um, but um, there are, there are a whole bunch of other things within the economy as well. There's um, you know people who um, share their skills um, in terms of teaching, um, and I'm very happy to um, uh, to, to pay when um, a, a good you know, Shabari teacher comes into town and we have the great pleasure of having a number of them uh, come through from from Japan and um, from overseas. So do you Um, get lessons still? uh, Yeah, I will occasionally go to... um, uh, When it's international. ...classes, some of the internationals that come through. Um, How much does a class cost? Or is it more like a workshop? It it, it varies. It's, um, yeah, it's, I mean... Bringing someone from overseas is never cheap, so we all, you know, are pitching in to, to pay for that. And, um, uh, yeah, but it's it's worth it for the amount of skills that you get. So, And do you, have you ever taught? Have you um, given, given lessons? No, no not, not anything outside of just, you know, giving someone a few pointers here and there. Um, I don't really want to do that, so to speak, yeah. Then I guess there's also the... Um, the things that we like to use, um, so, you know, floggers and canes and rope and um, all these sorts of things need to be made by someone and sold. And sure, you can go to your local sex shop and buy some cheap thing that was um, that was made by, um, you know, some somebody in, you know, China, uh, in great manufacturing cities. Um, or um, there are artisan, you know, small producers who will, you know, do leather work and, and create, um, you know, whips and floggers and, and things like that and sell them at um, fetish markets and things like that. So, but once again, I don't think anyone is cashing in. Mm. Yeah. So has there ever been a time which really stood out to you, mm. which was just really powerful? Or has there ever been something that was just over the top? Or what, what was the most crazy thing you've seen? <laughs> um, would you be, would you feel happy, comfortable sharing that? Um, boy, it's really difficult because, um, I don't know, I, 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 I tend to get to this point where everything blurs into one amazing montage of everything that's happened. Um, and it's sometimes hard to pick out, um, it's sometimes hard to pick out, you know, that one experience or that one thing. Um, I think that the, um, I think the most powerful uh, thing that I've had is um, the ability to have some long-term uh, relationships with some amazing people um, that have grown and, and deepened. Um, that more so than any one experience, I think, is 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 the best thing about it. Blaze, thank you so much. No problem. Thanks for having me. It's been great talking to you. Thanks. I definitely found it educational. <laughs>
God, here comes the bondage. <laughs> Radio voice. <laughs> this world goes off my head. I can't keep up with what's being said. I mean, I mean, if you had a black light, it'd be like a duck. I made, I made both those references. 